Good morning and welcome to Park Church. We're really glad that you're here with us. Um, if you were here last night, I, I, you know, it was such a great time to be able to celebrate and sing together and eat together. Um, I think everyone's a little tired after last night, but let's try to kind of lift it back up. Let's get a little bit of energy back into the room. Um, yes. All right. Uh, as was said, we are in the middle of this Christmas season, this Christmas series. It's called Let There Be. Uh, the very first words that God speaks in the Bible. Page 1, Genesis 1, chapter 1, right? Like God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be land, and there was land. Let there be plants, and there was plants. Let there be animals, people. There was animals, there was people. When God speaks that word, when he speaks his word, things happen. New things are called into existence, things that didn't exist before. And what we believe about Christmas about Jesus being born in that manger at Bethlehem is that God has spoken a new word. And it's the best word. And it's the most definitive word. And it's the word that is the highest word we could hear. And it's the deepest word that we could hear. It's the word, it's really the only word that we need to hear. And it's not um, verbal like you hear my words, but the word is a person. The word is Jesus. Jesus is God's word to us. And when Jesus was born, we believe that things were called into existence in a whole new way. And when we enter into um, the relationship with him where we can receive those things, our lives can be totally different because of that. And so two weeks ago, we talked about let there be hope and how do we live in that hope. Last week, we talked about let there be light and how do we live in that light. What does that light shine on us? This morning, we're going to talk about let there be joy. How do we live in the joy that Christmas brings? Um, Christmas, as we heard in the prayer, it, it is a time of joy. It's a season of joy. And where this joy business like, really comes from, it comes from one line in the Gospel of Luke. This is after Jesus is born. The shepherds are sitting around watching their flocks by night, doing their thing. And the angels come to the shepherds and they say to them, like, look, don't be afraid. See, I am bringing you good news of great joy. Great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And from that, we have 50 Christmas songs that are born about the angels and the shepherds and the glorias um, and the joy. But the song Joy to the World that we'll sing at the end of this service, that's actually one that's not so born out of this. That's born out of two other places. Um, Psalm 98. God said, you know, that psalm says, make a joyful noise, and if you don't make a joyful noise, everything else is going to. Like, the waters are going to, the rocks, hills, and plains, all of those are going to make a joyful noise. And then Isaiah 55, Isaiah says, when God finally does his thing, when God finally comes, which he does at Christmas in Jesus, um, the hills are going to cry out in joy. Uh, the mountains are going to burst into song. The trees of the field, they're going to clap their hands. What Christmas brings to this earth, right? Um, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. What Christmas brings is a joy that is for all people. It is for everyone. And whether you experience that or not, whether you believe that or not, whether you ever receive that or not, the joy is real. The joy is for you. But you know what the problem is, of course. It's that we don't experience that joy too often. Why doesn't life feel more like this, right? Joy to the world. Good news, great joy for all people. 
why don't I experience a more joy-filled life? The problem is, if this is true, if what the angel says is true, that this is good news of great joy for all people, that means it's for you. And if you don't experience joy, if you don't live out of joy, if joy is not your baseline, there's something wrong. There's a problem there. Because joy is not optional. We think it's optional, but it's actually not optional. Throughout the rest of the year, it's easy for us to forget about joy, to put joy aside, to think joy is optional because like, life is hard and all that sort of stuff. But in this time of year, it is hard for us to forget about joy. Joy is shoved in our faces again and again and again. I'm doing it right now. I'm shoving it in your face, right? That's joy. Um, like it's on our Starbucks cups, right? Um, Lexus invites us to experience the joy, right? Uh, Macy's and Gimbel's, they fight about like joy and how that all works together. Um, I was making coffee this morning and I looked over and my hand soap uh, invites me to joy. Um, it's winter candy apple and, it, and it's joy. Like the rest of the year, I don't have winter candy apple inviting me to joy. Uh, but this time of year, this time of year I do. The problem with this though is that it's at this time of year that the contrast between what a joyful life could look like, could be like, could feel like, um, the contrast becomes so real for a lot of us, for a lot of people. Because the holidays can be a stressful time. It can be a hard time, right? Um, if, you're, if you're going through a loss, if you're suffering through grief, this is the time of year where, um, where that loss is remembered most acutely, right? Because the person is not at the table who you wish were at the table. And that's felt in a different way during the holidays, right? Um, for a lot of us, like family, right? Family comes over. And for half of the room, that's a great thing. It's so wonderful and it's fluffy and flowery and we're all loved, right? For the other half of us, it stinks. Because it reminds us how messed up our families are and how far like, our lives are from that kind of good family joy, right? We get these Christmas cards in the mail. And we put them up on our fridge, we put them up on the wall, right? You never notice everyone in that photo looks amazing. <laughs> everyone's happy, everyone's joyful, they have things in their kitchen that I don't even know what they are, right? Like everyone's smiling, the kids look perfect. And like you have it hang on your wall, next to the part of the wall that your kid just draw, like drew all over, right? Or, or, or like you spilled dinner, on, right? right? Like the contrast between what these Christmas cards show and what we live, it's just so like obvious in this time of year. And it's just a busier time of year, right? There's more stuff to do. There's more things to be at. Um, there's more expected of you, which costs more. And that cost brings stress for a lot of people. Um, there's more traffic. This is not always the most joyful time of year, but it's supposed to be the most joyful time of year. And that's not true for everyone, but it's true for all people at some times. It highlights, though, we're meant to live in joy. We have every reason to live in joy. That's what the angel has to say. So why don't we? How do we live in this joy? How do we let there be joy in our lives? That's what, that's what we're going to uh, talk about this morning. To get there, though, I want to just address um, what joy is and what joy isn't, right? Um, in the Bible, uh, the word for joy and the word for happiness, it's more or less the same word. They more or less mean the same thing. Um, they're not too different. But the difference is, in our culture today, we don't really think of joy and happiness as the same thing. Um, and here are, some, here are some differences between happiness and joy. Right? 
Happiness is fleeting, whereas joy is lasting. Happiness is something that's kind of based on circumstances, based on moments, right? Joy is something that's present, that's there, regardless of what's happening, right? Happiness is the blips on the radar, whereas joy is kind of like the baseline. Joy is, joy is where you are. My friend says that like, happiness is a place you visit, but you can only visit it. Joy is a place you live. You can live there, right? It's why, you know, my wife's not going to be happy with this part of the message. Um, Disney World is the happiest place on earth, right? But you can't live in Disney World, right? If you lived in Disney World, your, your brain would collapse upon itself, <laughs> right? But you could visit it, and it's super happy, but you can't live there. Um, happiness is something that you can find ways to create. And you know what your happy triggers are, right? For me, it's YouTube. Um, if you search Jeff Goldblum Jurassic Park laugh, you are going to generate happiness. Trust me, right? Um, if you've watched the Avengers trailer that just came out on Friday, right? Generate happiness right there, right? Um, it's something that you can control, you can make happen because you learn how to make yourself happy. But it doesn't last, it's just for a moment. Joy is something that it's not always within our control. It's a bit different in that way. Right? Joy kind of surprises us. There's mystery in joy. There's an unexpectedness, and there's also like an indebtedness to the thing that makes us joyful. And we can't dictate that. So joy, I would say, is a kind of abiding, lasting contentment, where inside, um, your heart is smiling. There's a, like a deeper satisfaction, even if outside um, it ain't so hot, right? an abiding satisfaction, a kind of underlying happiness that lasts. Not happiness that, that fades, but happiness that lasts, that's steady, that's present, even in the face of things that you wish weren't true or that are hard or that are uncertain. And so this morning, we're going to walk through a story um, that really kind of unlocks the door to joy. We're not going to walk all the way into the joy room right? We're not going to tell the whole story. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to walk out of here um, abounding in joy. I certainly can't do that, but I do believe in this story there is a key to unlocking that door. And if you can pick up that key and get that key and put it in the door and turn it, and you can learn how to take a step into that room, I think you can live um, a joy-filled life that's, that's maybe different than ever, than ever before, all right? So last week we talked about Joseph's story this week, we're going to talk about the counterpart. We're, we're going to talk about Mary's story. What happens with Mary? And um, there's going to be a bunch of Bible in this, and so get yourself uh, ready. Here we go. Luke writes, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And that went backwards rather than forwards. Very interesting. Uh... Here we go. Yeah. Talk amongst yourselves. All right. Um, he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered, pondered what sort of meaning, uh, greeting this might be. Now, from Mary's perspective, imagine this. This is a little scary, this scene, right? Mary's a young girl. She's probably 13, 14 years old. Um, she's probably sitting, you know, in her room all by herself. Maybe she's asleep, right? Like, she gets woken up by this angel that comes to her. Angels don't come to people every day. Um, she's perplexed. She's, pon she's pondering what kind of greeting this, 
might be. And she's wondering. The Greek word there is the word for audit. Um, and if there's any word that elicits fear more in the English language than audit, right? Like, she is auditing the situation. She is troubled by this angel's presence uh, in her room that day, right? Is this really an angel? Or am I hallucinating, right? Is this, is this a ghost? Like, were the mushrooms I had for dinner last night, like, the wrong kind of mushrooms? And I missed it, right? That's where Mary's at. Gabriel, the angel, sees that, and he responds, you know, in kind. He's, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. But clearly she is afraid, right? I, I picture this scene something like when your boss calls you down, and he's like, don't worry, good news, but we need to talk, right? Or like when your spouse is like, you know what, let's spend some time, let's talk tonight, right? Like, it's a little scary what that might be. Like, this is how this whole scene starts to play out. It's a little shaky. It goes on from there. Luke, um, Gabriel continues, and now, and now, he says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will name him Jesus. He'll be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, are you serious? Right? That just got Siri to pop up. Nope, I don't want that. None of that is what I want. Here we go. Um, Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, right? Like, Angel, good, great stuff, some of the most, son of the most high, king forever, that's fantastic, but are you sure you have the right house, right? Are you sure you have the right Mary, the right town? Because I'm still a virgin, I'm engaged to be married, but I'm not married yet, we have not sealed that deal, right? No, <laughs> that was a joke. Um, <laughs> notice now, the angel doesn't say, like, look, Mary, after, you know, after the wedding, after the honeymoon, you'll settle down. You put the, you know, put the dishes away, the mixer that you'll never use. Like, you'll have a chance. You'll have kids. One of these kids is going to be awesome, right? King, king forever. No, he says now. Now you will conceive and bear a son. How can this be is Mary's polite way of saying, are you crazy? This is impossible. This is not going to work. And so the angel explains it to her. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her. She's been pregnant for six months, um, who was said to be barren for nothing. For nothing will be impossible with God. We hear this story every Christmas time. Maybe we read it throughout the year, we think about it, it's all good news, right? Jesus, Son of the Most High, King forever, all, all great stuff, big, huge, amazing promises. But we have to remember, in this moment, for this girl, this is a hard day. From her perspective, think about it from her perspective. This is, this is not what she expected to wake up to. This wasn't the news that she was thinking she'd go home with that day. This, this might not have been a happy day for her, right? This is challenging news for Mary. All the stuff about this kid being king without end, that's good. But this is hard news, probably not what she wanted on that day. Because if you remember last week, and if you weren't here, I'll kind of fill you in on that. Um, 
A girl at this time getting pregnant out of wedlock had huge consequences, right? Her life was about to enter into a world of hurt. The two basic options for someone like her in that day um, was death by stoning. That was option A, not a great option. Um, Option B was for Joseph to like get rid of her, kick her out, and she would have to leave and go to a different town and do that as a single pregnant woman and then be a single pregnant mom. It's hard enough to be a single mom nowadays. In those days, imagine it was much harder. That, that could have basically been a death sentence, right? She was pregnant, not even by Joseph, and she loved Joseph. It was going to be a really hard conversation for her to have to have with Joseph, right? Think about that for a second. It also guaranteed shame on her her family, on Joseph, on his family. They would be excluded from community life. They would be excluded from business. This, this could have been the end of them as people. And then on top of it all, when people ask, so Mary, where's your husband? How'd you get pregnant? She's going to have to tell this ridiculous story, right? About this angel that comes to her and says, you know, your kid's going to be king of the world forever, um, and it's going to happen by me, an angel. Who's going to believe that? This is, you know, this girl's 13 years old. 14 years old, whatever she is, this is a hard situation for like a 35-year-old strong woman to like enter into. Imagine entering into this as, as a kid, as a girl like that. All of a sudden, you know, she has her life set up right. She has her life planned, right? She's doing the things that she's supposed to do by God's law, right? She's doing the things that like a good girl in that age would do. And then all of a sudden, dropped right into the middle of her story is this bomb, right? This bomb that's about to go off. And we all know what that is like, don't we? Don't you? To have a bomb dropped in the middle of your story. The boss calls you in thinking you're going to get your Christmas bonus and really you're getting let go. Stinks. Bomb dropped right in the middle of your story, right? You get a call from the doctor, the results are in, we think you should come in and we should talk about this. Bomb dropped right in the middle of the story, right? Your kid comes home from school facing something that you never imagined your kid would face and you're not sure you're equipped to handle it. It's a bomb dropped right in the middle of your story. You come home from school one day, mom and dad sit you down and said, you know, Timmy, look, mom and dad still love each other but we're just not going to be married to each other anymore, right? Um, but nothing's going to change. It's a bomb dropped right in the middle of the story. You sent your applications out to all the colleges. You come home. You see the letter from the school that you wanted to go to. You put all your hopes in. You see it sticking out of your mailbox, and it's too thin to be anything but thanks but no thanks. It's a bomb dropped right in the middle of your story. Your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend... We need to talk. There's someone else. It's a bomb right in the middle of the story. It happens to all of us. It will happen to you if it hasn't happened already. Whoever you are, whatever the future you've designed for yourself, once in a while, big bombs, oftentimes little bombs, get dropped in the middle every day, in the middle of our stories. And there's really very little we can do to stop it, right? All these things all these things had the potential to rob us of the joy that we have or explode it for us. But one of the things is we try to stop it. We set up our lives to be as bomb-proof as possible, right? But we're not, and we never are. We do what we can to build the security around ourselves, to follow the rules 
that will promise us the best life now, right? We're careful with what we take on, or maybe we're not. But these bombs get dropped into the middle of our story, nevertheless. And that's not even to talk about the bombs that we make, right? We are master bomb makers for ourselves. That's kind of a different topic, right? But we can't control what gets dropped into the middle of our story, but it doesn't mean we don't try to. We try to control these things, and we can't. Thinking about what steals our joy more than anything else, control might be that top thing. We try to control things to guarantee a good life, to manufacture joy, but we can't. And the more we see we can't control things, the less joy we have and the more out of control things spin. And for Mary, that's kind of the situation that she's in here. I mean, she might not have had all of those thoughts, right? But she could have, and maybe she should have. Um, this is, you know, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. I did everything right. I did everything right. I lined up my life. I followed the law so that it's legit. Everything is there so that everything goes right for me. I don't deserve this. And she doesn't. But sometimes the bomb gets dropped in the middle of the story regardless. How could this happen to me? Mary's response to this bomb getting dropped um, is amazing. And it is the first, it's the first step. It's, that, it's, it's where we begin to see the key to, to being able to live in joy in the situation that we're about to enter into. Here's what she says. She responds, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. I kind of imagine her thinking like, oh God, thank God he's gone, right? No more of this, thank God. She chooses to trust God, even if she's unhappy with the news she got, with the bomb that got dropped in the middle of her story. She chooses to trust God nevertheless. Note what she's saying here. She's not saying, yes, now I get it, and I'm psyched about this. Having to spend nine months fearing someone's going to stone me to death, right? Or getting kicked out of my society, right? Cool beans. Like, that's not what she's saying. She's not saying, I'm excited for this. Mother of the Son of the Most High. Sounds like a good role. She's not saying that. She's saying, I'm perplexed. I'm pondered about this. I'm not sure how this will work. I don't really love it but I'm going to choose to trust God here. I'm going to choose to trust God. She is saying, I don't know about this, but I do know about you, God. I trust you. Are you able to say that when the bomb gets dropped in the middle of your story? Faith is exactly that. Faith is being able to say, I don't get it, but I trust you, God. Faith is saying, I trust how this story is going to end because I trust that God will get me there and that the end will be good because God is the author of the story. That's what faith says. Even in the fears, even with the reservations, Mary says, I might not like it, but I'm going to trust you, God. If your faith can't say that and can't believe it and can't mean it, you have room to grow there. We all have room to grow there. Being able to say that and mean it and believe it, that's the thing that puts the conditions in place for you to actually live a joy-filled life, a joyful life. 
But we're not there yet. Mary's not there yet, but she's on her way. Okay? After this, something um, kind of unusual happens, a turn in the story. But it does kind of make sense. What would you do if you were delivered this potentially um, and promised good news, but in the moment, this very hard news, right? Having to carry the baby out of wedlock, this unbelievable story, all kinds of threat and shame on it in a tiny village where everyone knows your business, everyone knows your situation, you haven't started to show yet, right? What would you do in that situation? You get out of town. You get out of there as fast as you can. And that's just what Mary did. Um, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town. She got out of there. She got out of there as fast as she could. She needed time to process this. She needed time um, to hide away, probably. She needed time to feel safe um, away from the townsfolk with the pitchforks who might be coming, right? She needed time to figure out, what am I going to do about Joseph? I love this guy, and he's going he's gonna to really, he, I mean, he's going to be hurt. <laughs> he's going to be crushed, right? And saying, like, look, it wasn't Bob from down the village, right? It was the angel, I'm going to be mother of God, like all that. Like, that might not fly for Joseph, right? So where she goes is her, her relative's house, Elizabeth. It's kind of in the hill country, far away. And when she gets there, when she gets there, something happens that she wasn't expecting, that she couldn't control, that surprised her. She enters the home, greets Elizabeth, um, look at how Luke tells the story. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by her Lord. Elizabeth, before Mary had a chance to open her mouth, before Mary had a chance to collapse on the couch and cry and open up about all of the things that were on her heart, before any of it, Elizabeth confirms the promises that the angel made to Mary. And in that moment, Mary's simple, I don't get it, but I trust you, God, became, oh my gosh, I get it. The promises are going to come true. God is faithful. God is good. God is true. God is trustworthy. There is good news of great joy. The Messiah, the Lord, is actually inside of my womb right now. In that moment, she realizes that that, that angel was not the bad mushrooms, right? That God has actually come. God has actually spoken. And it's trustworthy and true. And then Mary responds, um, and this is just beautiful. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. It glories in the Lord. And my spirit rejoices. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The deepest part of me, the deepest part of who I am, the deepest part of what I am, rejoices in God, my Savior. Now she has reached joy. Elizabeth confirmed it. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. She can believe the angel now. She can go forward with this. And then um, what comes after is why Mary can really believe. It's, it's kind of her um, singing her song to God about why she can actually believe, why she can rejoice even when she's not getting what she wants or what, what she thinks she deserves or she's, she's about to endure something that she wouldn't wish on anyone. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. God is true. She says, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. 
Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is my name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And then she says this. She says, he has shown strength with his arm. Scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promises, the promise he made to his ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. That's a mouthful. Mary rejoices in God, her Savior, because even in the midst of her bad day, God is good. And what she's saying here is the end of the story is guaranteed because of who God is, because God is faithful. The end of the story is guaranteed because God is the one who guarantees it. What she says here, these are all past tense uh, phrases about things that haven't happened yet. Do you notice that? He has shown strength. He has brought down the powerful. He has filled the hungry. He has helped Israel. These are all past tense. They haven't come true yet, but every single one of these things will come true through the life and the teaching and the miracles and the death and the resurrection of the little baby that's currently the size of a lima bean. Right? It's always a lima bean. Right? Do you know when God showed the strength of his arm? It's on Easter morning when God raised his dead son from the grave and conquered death forever. That's when that happened. You know when he... Uh, filled the hungry with good things, when he fed the poor, when he multiplied the loaves, when he had compassion on people who were like sheep without a shepherd, when he left the flock to find the lost, when he invited everyone who's tired and weary and hungry to come to me and you will find, you will find rest. And to those who felt like they didn't need him, they went away. And they went away empty. Do you know when God brought the powerful down from their thrones and lifts up the lowly, Every single time Jesus elevates someone who has no business being near God, close to God. He does that when he uh, brings in anyone who is excluded by the rules of the past. Anyone who is marginalized, anyone who is poor in spirit, anyone who is stuck in the sin that entangles them. He lifts them up through his death on the cross because that death on the cross leveled the playing field. It wiped away the record that stood against us so that the first would be last and the last could be first. So those with the least honor, they have the best seats. And when he gives his life for others, that's the moment. That's the moment that everyone with a claim to power has been ripped off of their thrones because the one with real power has given his life in powerlessness to save them. Listen, the fulfillment of all of God's promises didn't happen right then and there in Elizabeth's living room. That's the middle of the story where the bomb just dropped. They're fulfilled in the end of the story. At the cross, at the resurrection, at the promise of his return someday. Where he promises that all things will be made new. All things new. That's the end of the story. So why can Mary rejoice and live in joy even in the middle of a story where the bomb just went off? Because Mary has learned that the end of the story is more important than the middle. The end of the story carries more significance than what's happening in the moment. 
The promise that will be fulfilled someday matters more for the moment than the bomb that just got dropped. And God is absolutely faithful and trustworthy and true to see to it that that happens. Mary can rejoice in the midst of something hard because Mary has learned to live her life rooted at the end, at the end of the story, rather than in the middle. That's why Mary can rejoice like this and say, I know the middle is kind of rough, but I'm going to live more out of the end than I am the middle. And you know the ending. You know the ending because God has told you, because Jesus has come to tell you. God himself came to guarantee that the ending goes the way he wants. And he promises that it, that it will. And you know the ending. I will be with you always until the end of the age, by your side, with you. So you have nothing, you have nothing to worry about. What can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Paul says nothing. So you have nothing to worry about. You don't need to earn it for yourself anymore. God has given all things new, God declares. All things. Doesn't that give you a confidence dealing with whatever mess you're dealing with, the bomb in the middle of your story? All things new. When you know the end of the story, right? It allows you to live differently in the middle of it. This is why, incidentally, prequels just don't work very well, right? How could they make a convincing Han Solo movie when you know that Han and Chewie and Lando are all going to be okay, right? Like, when you know the ending, when you know the outcome, less drama, less tension, less anxiety, less worry. It's why if we can be joyful in the middle... It's why we can be joyful even in the middle of the story because the end is known to us. Jesus has come, God with us, nothing separating us, all things new. And if that's truly the end of all of our stories, and you can believe that, you can live now, you can trust God with that, what's to stop us from joy then now? If that's truly the ending, what's to stop us from joy right now? If you could live your life like that, if you could live like that, what if that were the key to living the joyful life that you were made to live and that God has uh, come to give you? What if the key was to live as if we already know the ending? Here's what would happen. You could give up the need to have to engineer everything. You could give up the need to have to control every outcome. You can give up the need to have to protect yourself against every threat. You can give up the need to explain everything as if we could control everything anyway. You can give up the need to compare yourself to others all the time. You give up the need to have to justify yourself. You give up living as if God isn't real or that God isn't good or that God is not. If you live your life rooted in the end rather than the middle, this is what can happen. You could see the things that you're afraid of, the things that you're stressed about, the things that you're anxious because of in the context of a much larger God has got this. God has got you. With you always. All things new. You can see your sadness and your grief and your suffering as real, as painful, as deep. But listen, as transient, as temporary, as coming to an end because there will be a day where every tear is wiped away from every eye. You can see your loneliness as not as real as the fact that Jesus is with you now and always will be. You can see your envy as something that you can let go of. Because if you're hungry for something that you don't have, God's going to give you what you need. God's going to 
God's going to fill the hungry with good things so that you'll never go hungry or thirsty again. You can even see death with hope. Yes, as a real departure, but one that no longer has the last word because he has shown the strength of his arm. If you live rooted in the end rather than the middle, it is the key uh, that unlocks that door to joy because God is good. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. And you can entrust yourself and your story to him, knowing that he is the author of it and he will, he, he will finish the work that he began in you. So what do you do like today, tomorrow? What do you do to get into this, to practice this? For one, you could just say what Mary said uh, to God there. Lord, here I am, your servant. I might not get it, but I'm going to decide to trust you anyway. And that's an amazing first step if we can learn how to actually take that. But the second thing you could do, you could actually ask God to show you the end of the story. Ask God to help you know the story, to help you remember it, to write those truths, right? To write those promises on your heart, on your mind, in your gut. Go back to the story again and again. Go back to God's word again and again and hear again and again what God is saying to you. Saturate yourself in God's story because God's story, this story is your story. And the end of his story is the end of your story. And it's good because God is its author and he is faithful and true and trustworthy and his promises are good. So it's hope-filled, it's joy-filled, and we have every reason to rejoice. Live out of that and you can let there be joy uh, in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you came to this earth even in uh, circumstances that weren't easy or that were hard. But you came, Lord. You came to give us life. You came to give us uh, hope. You came to give us light. And you came so that we could um, live a life of joy. God, we pray that you would grant us the faith that we need to say to you, I might not get it, but I trust you, God. Lord, grow that faith up within us individually. Uh, grow that up within us as families. Grow that up within us as a church here. Lord, help us to trust you, uh, to live our lives based on the fact that the end of the story is guaranteed. Help us to live rooted there rather than in the middle of our story. Um, we are all too aware of the bombs that get dropped into the middle of our story. And it's hard because that's where we live and, and that's where we suffer. But you promise us that the end is different. All things new, with us always. Nothing can separate us from your love. We pray that you would write those truths on our hearts so that we could live a different kind of life now, a life of more joy, um, a life of more hope. God, we pray that you would be with us now as we continue to worship and sing and praise you and celebrate you for what you've done for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, we pray all of these things. Amen.